learning about chaplains and specialized pastoral ministry. My guest today, the Reverend Kenneth Hessel, is chaplain at the Good Samaritan Society in Millard, Nebraska, and also chaplain for the Papillion Fire Department. And Chaplain Hessel, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, I'm excited to learn more about your work as a chaplain. Great to be with you. Tell me what led you to consider about uh, what led you to consider this vocation of chaplain. When did you start thinking about becoming a chaplain? Um, in reality, I grew into the position. Uh, it started uh, when I was in Long Island, Nebraska, or Long Island, New York. Um, I was looking for something else to do besides my parish work. And uh, so I had got involved in in the fire department, and I was uh, initially just a firefighter and EMT. And then I started doing some chaplain-style work, usually uh, started with the funerals and then doing memorial services, that kind of stuff. And as that went along, the chief finally said, you know, we should do something to make you more official. And uh, so we eventually made that official. Um, department voted me in as a chaplain, and then um, I just kind of kept growing. Uh, first thing that really started happening was I um, ran into a um, a Catholic priest at a, it's a Byzantine Catholic church uh, outside his parish, and uh, we started talking, and I noticed he had a fire department pager like I had one on my belt, and we started talking about that, and he told me he was in the New York State Association of Fire Chaplains and encouraged me to be a part of it. Um, and so I started joining them because the first thing they offered was some training. And uh, that was a great help to take what I've always done, but now think about specifically how am I doing this with uh, firemen and uh, firewomen, uh, firefighters across the board. So that's how I started, and then once I got into the association, I grew, uh, came all the way up through the ranks, became the chief, chief chaplain for the whole New York State Association, which consisted of 500 chaplains uh, that I worked with across the state of New York. And that's how I got my start. It was just kind of gradually in there. And uh, it really, it's nothing more than God just kind of leading me along the way. What prepared you for this service as a, a chaplain? What are some of the things that, that you think specifically prepared you, and um, how does that fit in the picture, the typical picture of uh, the route to becoming a chaplain? Um, in this case, it was just uh, my straight seminary training. Um, I was always encouraged to look beyond the parish, not just to stay look at all your people, but you have a whole field around you, and to find your ways to get involved in the community. And that's kind of where that started from. As I've grown, in addition to doing the, the fire department training, uh, I eventually did what's called clinical pastoral education. And that was, uh, as I was moving along to become more of a, a chaplain uh, in institutions, which is what kind of got me into where I'm at today, Good Samaritan Society in Millard here. But I had to, I had to take these courses, which were part of the credentialing process, uh, to get my start, myself started. And I did two, took me two years uh, to get four units of CPE. Uh, and that has just helped enhance 
what I was already doing with uh, the fire department. And so the two kind of built on top of each other, and it was just a, a gradual process that the Spirit said, okay, we got you here, now let's get you here, and how about looking at this and just kind of <laughs> moving me along to be where I'm at today. What does your work look like day to day as you serve as a chaplain? What, do you, what are some of the things that, that you do as a chaplain? Well, as a chaplain here at Good Samaritan, which is a skilled nursing facility and rehab center, uh, so I have uh, people who are here long-term, um, and then I have people who are here for generally under three months doing rehabilitation. So I have a very um, mixed group, and I have those who I have to take care of long-term. And in one sense, uh, the skilled facility is very much like a congregation. Of course I get a phone call. In this. You're a chaplain. Um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it's like a congregation. Uh, I'm treating a lot of the same things. I, I will hold weekly um, services with them. I do Bible studies um, and the like. And it's going to, to visit with them and, and finding out what's going on. And a lot depends on where they're at. If they're new uh, residents, a lot of it is, I'm here and I don't want to be here. Um you know, I'd rather be at home and working through that early stages. And then as they get here, then it becomes their home. And then it's kind of going through the normal day-to-day things. But then uh, here, it, it's like congregation, except I see it at a faster pace. Um, we then start transitioning toward, um, toward death, and we have to deal with a lot of uh, things that go along with that as they start to realize that uh, things are changing or... Um, sometimes they don't, um, but it's wherever they're at dealing with it. With the rehab, because they're short-term people, they tend to come in, get healed, and head out the door. Uh, and so it's just being there to help them. Some of it is um, the reality of just getting old, and um, they fall, they break a hip, they're in for a little while. So there's, there's life changes that are taking place there as they now have to find out how to re, reorientate themselves and finding out that they're a little bit more fragile than they thought they were. Um, and then helping them transition to getting ready to go home and just dealing with whatever comes along. And, and more often than not for those people, everything is more or less in good shape with them. And uh, we're there to provide services however I can. Um, uh, on a day-to-day basis, I'm running around the facility, doing a little of everything. Sometimes it, it means um, staffing the popcorn machine and filling it up. Other times, I'm actually with residents. We're going through assessments. We're going through um, questions and answers uh, about various different things. And other times, it's preparing for the service and Bible studies and the like. So it, it's kind of a, like a little congregation here. And uh, then there's making time for the fire department, which for here is totally different than it was for me in New York. New York was was a volunteer thing, and I was a regular part of the fire department. So whenever the pager would go off, if I was available, I would go to the call, and whether it be a fire or an ambulance call, um, working, seeing my fellow firefighters all the time, being there 
uh, to help them during their times of crises or challenges or whatever. Now that I'm here in Nebraska, I'm working with a paid department, and it's um, a little harder for me because I want to be there and I want to do stuff, but it's more of a, you come when we call you. And so um, I wait for that kind of call where they think they need a chaplain present, and then I will be there to either help the firemen. More often, I'm there to help the community uh, in the midst of whatever they're going through, whether it be a fire or an accident or um, an unexpected death in the household that, that happened there they, they weren't planning on, whatever. Uh, and then I just um, make time when I can to just stop by the firehouse and say hello to the guys, say, hey, I'm here. And um, and just be there, and uh, and sometimes it leads to something, but a lot of times it doesn't. Um, and it, it's kind of just building relationships with, with the fire department. Do you have a story from uh, well, either from from your experience as a chaplain for the fire department or with Good Samaritan that really? Uh, an example that helps us understand what your your vocation, your life, your service as a chaplain is all about? Well, in the fire department, I think one of the, the first um, things I had to deal with was um, I officially became a chaplain. I think we, uh, we went through the process and, and voted me into the position in April, May of 2001. Um, and as you can guess, it wasn't long afterwards when we were uh, had the whole 9-11 situation in New York and, and being just outside of the city by about 30 minutes, we actually got called in to go to the city to help assist them at uh, ground zero. And so my first real big stop was dealing with all of that because one of um, the members of the fire department uh, didn't realize it when we were activated, but found out later that his brother was actually at um, in a meeting in the trade center uh, in the restaurant and uh, ended up perishing in, in that uh, event. So it was being there to help him now go from being a responder to being a loved one. And it, it was a totally different experience for him because now it was personal. And uh, in our volunteer fire department, we had many a member in the department who was involved in New York City, either at the police force, the fire department, um, the ambulances, whatever. So um, I started working with people in the midst of what they were seeing, what they were hearing, and that was, in a sense, the same thing that was happening in my congregation because we had all of those people there. Plus, I had people, I had one person who worked in the building, and, and uh, it wasn't until almost two years later that I found out one of my members of the congregation was actually um, transporting rubble from the ground zero to the barges where they took it then to another place to sort through. And he was dealing with all of that, and we didn't even know it. So that... All of, all of that was a part of just being there. A lot of, of, of what the chaplaincy for was in the fire department was what we call a 
ministry of presence, being there in the midst of what's going on. And that's kind of what it is um, in the emergency services. You're there to, to help. As far as the nursing home, it, like I said, it, a lot of it is like a congregation. I just, you know, I don't do a lot of baptisms or funeral or um, weddings, but a uh, funeral stuff is, is very common. And in some cases, it's fairly regular, um, kind of being a little clinical and and uh, scientific. Is we kind of know when a person is making the transition uh, towards death. And so there's, there's things that we're prepared for, but we still run into those unexpected ones. Um, it was just a couple months ago, we had one guy who was a very active person here for me. He was the one who led the mealtime prayers at, at every, um, every meal. And he basically went to bed one night, and that was it. He, um, um, he, had, he had taken his pills. His normal routine was take the pills, turn off his light, go to sleep. I think it was about 15 minutes later, the nurse walked by. His light was still on. He goes, that's unusual, walked in, and and he just was gone. Um, pretty sure it was a, a heart attack that he had, but it it was totally unexpected because this was one of those issues at times we just didn't expect. So it opened up a new new challenge because now the staff was was literally shocked. He was a loved and beloved member of the community, and so there was a lot of um, side issues that went with that, where people were like, wow, this can get real. And um, so I was dealing with, with staff and, and with fellow residents over, over his death. So that's the kind of things that I'm, I'm dealing with, um, a lot more uh, death-related issues just because of who my clientele is. How do you have opportunities to bring Christ's word or his mercy to those you serve? Uh, a lot of it, uh, it some, some of it is very easy because I have my regular worship services um, and, and Bible studies. So I have those happening all the time. But here, a lot of it is one-on-one, taking time to see a change in a person, um, you know, you look depressed today, or you look, you know, you, you look like something's bugging you, and you just kind of start with the conversation, and then you go from there. You listen to what's being said. You listen to sometimes what's not being said, and, and finding the ways to um, get a little deeper into that, finding uh, the, the right questions. Sometimes it's, it's uh, responding back and say, I think I hear you saying this. And then having them say yes or no, or um, just kind of just kind of helping flesh out what's going on with them, and and then it's then it's just wide open. Um, sometimes it's parents or witness, but uh, it, it's bringing that word into saying, get in the midst of this. Um, for me, one of my favorite passages is from the end of the book of Habakkuk, where it starts off saying really kind of depressing things like, well, the olive tree f- uh, fails and there's no crops in the garden, the cattle are all gone and all of this is gone, there's no grace on the vine. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And it's, it's a reassurance that in the midst of everything that's going on here, God's still there. 
God's got a plan, and it's better. And it's just taking hold and walking side by side. And even in those darkest times, God's still there. And especially in the fire service, all that a lot. I'm dealing with people who are in the midst of um, a house that just burned down, or we found a body uh, inside the house that we weren't expecting to. Um, you know, now, now the firefighters are reacting to that. So you're just there, and then you provide the comfort and uh, encouragement that is found in Christ. And I, I've just been able to, to find the ways to work with people in the midst of what's going on and move them forward. For the person who might be considering this vocation of chaplain, perhaps pursuing education or training um, to, to become a chaplain, who might be considering it and has questions about the, the demands that, that are placed on you, the, the, the expectations of the demands, what, what words might you share with that person that's considering uh, chaplaincy in the future? Um, if you're if you're going into an institutional setting, um, going through the CPE is a challenge. The clinical pastoral education classes that you take it's it's going to be challenging you not just in finding the right words to talk to people and how to talk to them, but even into focusing in on yourself. Um, and that can be very uncomfortable. I can say that because. That's what it was for me, uh, being challenged and focused to look at yourself in different ways. Uh, because a part of where it is is in the midst of this, you need self-care. And how are you going to take care of yourself listening to people whose lives are constantly um, in crisis and you're there with them? How do you take care of yourself in the midst of that? And that's a part of a lot of where these self-care plans are going with that. Um, and so it's, like I said, you know, in a congregation, you have baptisms, you have weddings, which are kind of joyous events and gives you a, gives you a little lift. When you're constantly dealing with sick and injured and uh, dying, it's it's a little bit harder. It takes a little bit more out of you emotionally. So be prepared for that. You're going to be challenged in life. Um, when if you're looking at going into emergency services kind of stuff. Um, you're dealing with a different group of people, and it's um, there, there's some uniqueness there um, in the fire department, especially, which is where my experience was at. There, um, there are people who have have seen a lot already, and find the ways to process that. And some of it by processing it is, is by burying it. Um, you see it, you experience it, you kind of bury it and you let it go. And the problem is when it gets brought back up in a totally different situation um, or a dramatic situation. Um, 9-11, for example, I was dealing with people who really had a hard time processing everything that they had seen and were, in a sense, taking out in an inappropriate way. Sometimes it was maybe through alcohol, maybe it was language. Um, one case, I had a father who was taking it out on his son-in-law because he could. And um, it, it made for a real challenge for six to nine months 
to help him work through. And there were times I wanted to take a two-by-four and smack across the head going, what are you doing to your family? Because he literally was shutting off his son-in-law and daughter and grandkids from it. And it was really hard, but it was a, it was what he was going through trying to figure out how he related to everything that he saw at Ground Zero. Um, and when those come out, they can be really hard to deal with. Plus, you know, a lot of it is... Uh, I heard a lot of vulgarity in the fire department. Um, and you hear that, and sometimes I would say something, and they'd clean it up for a while, but... Um, some of it is you, you, you have to be aware that these are the kinds of people you are going to be dealing with. And sometimes it's, that's the way they help process it. It doesn't mean it's the best, but it's, it's a place you got to be aware of to be able to get to a, to, to work at more appropriate ways to do um, So you, you, you have challenges. My guest today, the Reverend Kenneth Hessel. He's chaplain at the Good Samaritan Society in Miller, Nebraska, a chaplain for the Papillon Fire Department. <laughs> 